1: Hey everybody, Sorry, Delamont here. This is a special Facebook live audio that I recorded about a couple months ago called From Hostage to Hero, The Method. The reason we are having a replay here in the podcast is because the From Hostage to Hero Membership is opening soon. The official launch is October 1st, but we're having a Founders launch that is going to be opening on July 27th. July 27th, you don't wanna miss it. We're gonna have a free event every day that week showing you a preview of what you're gonna get in the membership. And the membership closes on the 31st. So make sure you are there. And this podcast is to get you familiar with the From Hostage to Hero method so that you know what you're getting into. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here to talk about From Hostage to Hero, the method. And many of you are new to the group. We're now at nearly 700 members. So excited to have so many of you join us in the From Hostage. Hey, Kyle, I see you too. Um thanks for joining us. So we're going to walk you through over the next 30 minutes or so what the me- the method is because people are like what is this from hostage hero thing? You know, I was on with David Ball a couple of weeks ago. Hey Todd, hey Anita. And um David Ball was like, you know, I people come up and ask me all the time, you know, how do I become a trial consultant and get known in this world? And he said Go watch what Sari's doing. She just came out of nowhere. <laughs> so I'm really excited that um, my, my message is resonating. And yet, I think a lot of people are here and wondering what this is all about and what all what, what's going on in the in the group and otherwise. Hey, June. So thanks for being here. We're going to talk to you about who I am, what the method is, and how you can get involved uh, in the From Hostage to Hero Dare I say revolution? Because that's how I'm kind of feeling this whole thing is. So let's get started with the basic premise of from hostage to hero. How many are actually defense counsel? No defense counsel in here, Todd. Um, this is a plaintiff only group, and uh, defense criminal defense. Of course, we will we will accept criminal defense attorneys here in the group. So. Here's the basic premise of my whole thing is when I started in this work, you know, I started, most of you know that my specialty is nonverbal communication and that's what I teach and I started out as a presentation coach and so I that's what I thought I would do, uh, for my career. And I wasn't really particularly working with lawyers. I was working, uh, with any kind of person in, in who spoke for, for their work or private coaches, those kinds of things. And then one day a lawyer saw a little thing in the newspaper and he said, um, he emailed me and he said, can you come help me pick a jury? And I thought, I don't know. Uh, But I told him that I would try and I went down and he, of course, wanted me to watch the jury and what they're doing and, you know, read their nonverbals to, you know, make sure that they're with us or against us. And all I could do was just keep bringing my attention back to the attorney. I was like, okay, I don't know what you expect me to get from them, but you, we have lots we can work with. (laughs) And that's really what started this whole thing is I started focusing on the attorney and getting their message clear and their presentation skills clear. But as I got deeper and deeper into your world, I started to recognize something really, really important. And that was jurors don't want to be there they do not want to be there they are forced to be there and the more research i did on decision making and persuasion and all the goodies that you guys and gals love to revel in i recognized all of that was moot unless and until we could get jurors to willingly choose to be on your team or even just be on any team at this point they are there they are sitting there forced to be there and the easiest thing to do is nothing which is what we want in our criminal cases (laughs) but in our plaintiff cases we need the jurors to take action and the action that they end up taking is any action that will get them the fuck out of there and no one was talking about this. We were talking about how to tell jurors how important they are. We're talking about the reptile brain. We're talking about all these, this great stuff. Don't get me wrong. trial by human and all these great things. But nobody was talking about the fact that jurors don't fucking want to be there in the first place. And yet these are the people that are going to carry the day. We've got to get them wanting on board. So the first real step, I mean, there's the four steps From Hostage to Hero, and I'll talk to you about them today. But the first real step is to recognize that jurors don't want to be there, at least most of them. I'm not going to say all, but most of them do not want to be there. And that our job is to not only to get them to want to be there, that's really the first step. But it's to steadily increase what I call permission so that jurors will take on more and more responsibility until we can firmly give them all of the responsibility. The responsibility that, quite frankly, we've carried for months, if not years, in our cases, we now can deliver that into their hands knowing that they are ready and prepared to take it on. That's the point of the whole method, but we cannot get there until and unless we recognize that they don't want to be there first off. Now, before we talk about permission and how to increase it and the four steps in the From Hostage to Hero method, and you know, if you know me, you, you know that I, I, I bristle a little bit, a bit at, the, at the word method because <clears throat> I think method gets us in trouble. It's, it's very close to technique. And I, this isn't a, a, you know, there's nothing wrong with technique, but like a formula, right? That's what I cannot give you. And that's what I will never promise to give you. There is no such thing as a formula. This is just a way to understand human behavior and adapt your own so that you can lead a hostile audience to one that is willing and able to, to carry the ball over the line. Okay, that's what this is. So before we can even talk about what the method is, we've got to talk about the other hostage in the room, which is you, because that's what I also recognized as I started getting deeper and deeper into this work is that it wasn't enough to assist you in good presentation skills, good storytelling skills, getting your content put together, all of that, which is where my training is and where I've lived my life for nearly 20 years, but that the thought patterns that you were holding were really getting in your way. And I'm finding more and more as I get deeper and deeper into this work and I've now got my coaches training and, and we're doing all of the mindset work with all y'all, is that this is really the place that's needed the most. I mean, there are dozens and dozens and hundreds and thousands of presentation skills coaches. I mean, I'm quite good at that, yes. But that is not the most important thing. What I'm finding is that the thought patterns that you're holding are what really are fucking with you. And a big one is this idea that the jurors are the enemy, that they are the obstacle to your success. I think that's the number one thing that gets in all of your way, is that you view these hostages as the problem right? That they are so immovable that you have to be this charismatic genius in order to get them to to think and believe in your case and nothing could be further from the truth. That's the first thought pattern that you really have to let go when you have to free yourself first, which is what I talk about in the book, of being a hostage. Because when you hold this pattern that the jurors are the enemy and they're the problem and they're the big obstacle, that colors everything that you do. And so that makes you do all weird kinds of shit and try all these weird techniques and stop trusting yourself and thinking other people know better than you. And if there's anything in my method, it's all about get firmly entrenched in your own instincts and your own body and knowing your own truth and 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 coming from that place. You know, I'm starting a brand new coaches program, um, Path to Mastery, which is our program where I work one-on-one and in small groups with a a group of nine attorneys over six months, really delving into the from hostage to hero method. And guess what we're doing month one? Uh, Hey Daniel, speaking of some one of the nine people that are gonna be in the program, what are we doing month one? We're talking about how amazing they are. We don't start from the place that they're broken. We start with that because why? The number one thing that you could use (laughs) in trial, I mean screw the book, is confidence. And I'm gonna build that confidence because I firmly believe you already have what it takes. You just need to be reminded. So the two big philosophies, before we even go into the four steps of From Hostage to Hero is jurors are hostages and your job is to free them, not see them as the enemy. And you are a hostage too. And until you free yourself, you have no way of being able to free the jury. That's off the table. You have to come in and you have to say to yourself, I've got this and I'm gonna rescue you fuckers and this is gonna be a grand adventure, let's go. That's your job. But you can't get there if you are not in the right state of mind. So our job is to free the jurors, which I'm going to talk about now in the four, four phases or four steps of the From Hostage to Hero method. But before you do that, you first need to free yourself, which is why so many of our our coaches or our lawyers are coaching now with either me or Kevin, and I have other coaches' names, because they are now recognizing the power of getting your mind right. When you get your mind right, everything else comes into play. What method to use, how do you hold your body, do all the nonverbal stuff, all that's really important, but none of it's going to work if this is all screwed up. So, Here's the method for all y'all who are new to me, uh, watching this later, watching this live, those are you who are not new to me, but here to hear some wisdom drop, here goes. All right, so there are four steps. Now, you have to understand that what we're attempting to do in the From Hostage to Hero Method is to increase permission little by little until we have maximum permission at the end of trial and we deliver the case into the hands of jurors. So what do I mean by permission? Well, permission is how receptive someone is to us or our message. Now, when you think about it, when we start trial, we have zero or even negative permission with jurors, right? We can ask them to do things for us. We can tell them how important they are, which in fact decreases permission. I'll talk about that in just a moment and why that is. But we can do all these things, but our permission is so low. We have zero receptivity. They are not willing to listen to us. Why? We're the ambulance chaser in their minds. They're the reason why we're the reason why they're there. They they don't want to be there. Someone is forcing them to be there. They're missing their kids, whatever. So, we have little to zero permission. Now, this is a concept across the board in communication that if you get this one thing from today's video or any of my other work, your communication will take off and you will finally get what it means to be a good communicator. It all comes down to permission. How much permission do you have with whoever you're talking to, right? So you can say something to, let's say your spouse. Like if you said to your spouse, if I said to Kevin tonight, hey baby, take off those undies, I have permission to say that to him. Now if I say that to the really cute guy at Starbucks, I do not have permission to say that to him, okay? Now notice the different reactions I would get in those two things, all right? Kevin would be, I'm assuming, thrilled. So, but Starbucks guy, not so much. It all comes down to how much permission do you have? So we wanna constantly raise, like I kinda of think of it as a thermometer. Keep that communication getting warmer and warmer and more receptive, more receptive, until we can get away with asking more. There's, this is the problem is that you don't get the concept of permission. So you stand in front of the jury day one and you tell them how important they are and they got the most power in the room and they're all looking at you like, what? I don't have any power. I can't decide to just stand up and leave. And so it's, permission starts to go down because they're not believing you're credible, first of all. And then you go, and then I want to talk to you and, and I hope you talk to me. And they're sitting there going, I have to talk to you. What do you mean, you hope? Aren't I required? So now your credibility goes down a little more. And then you start asking them for things. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. Tell me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. gimme. Permission keeps going down. We don't have any permission with jurors. We've got to give them what they need. There's really three pieces. If you look in chapter four of the book, those of you who have the book, those of you who do not have the book, get the fucking book. But if you look in chapter four uh, from Hostage a Hero, I believe it's chapter four, Yes, it's called the permission principle, and that's all about how you get permission with people. So here's the basic gist, there are three things. You need to give people what they need, when they need it, in the proper way they need it, okay? So it's need, timing, and context. When those three things come together, permission starts to go up, right? I could ask Kevin to take off his underwear, did I see panties before? I did see panties. Um, his underwear, in the middle of a dinner party in our ha- home, not gonna, I'm still not gonna have permission. Even though I have high permission with Kevin as my spouse, not gonna happen in the middle of a dinner party, right? Why? It's the wrong context, okay? These are very weird examples that I'm using, and I have no idea why I'm using these examples, but that's what's coming out of my brain today for some reason, and Kevin's down there going, yay. Um, okay, don't get your hopes up, Kevin. Here's the thing though, is that permission in court works exactly the same way. What do jurors need? When do they need it? And how do I deliver that in the right way, in the right context, okay? So for example, jurors are very important, but telling them they're important at the beginning of trial is not the right time or the right context, why? Because they don't feel important. Yeah, at the end of trial, they have tons of power, but in that moment, they're hostages. And that makes it feel like this, 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 you know, slimy, manipulative thing you're trying. Oh, you're so important. And they're like, bullshit. What? Th- no, I'm not. I don't feel important. So it's not, it's what I guess I'm trying to get, get to is it's not that telling jurors they're important is the problem. It's when are you doing it? It's all about need and timing and context. So if we look at trial in three phases in terms of the book, because I do not cover the parts of trial that are direct and cross-exam, right? I'm talking about the parts of trial that you talk directly with or to the jurors. We have three uh, contexts, do we not? We have, And really four. We have getting started, that's one context, the first time you stand in front of the jury. Then there's the actual voir dire, once it gets going, okay? Then we've got opening, and then we've got closing. So those are the four contexts. Okay. So now we're left with what is needed and when's the right timing. Okay. So let's talk about what tends to happen. Step number one in the from hostage to hero method. What do jurors need at the very beginning? Well, if they're hostages, let's think of actual hostages for a moment. We have actual hostages in front of us. What do they need? Well, they need one of two things. They need to be freed if possible Not possible here. We talk about some ways you can free them in the book, in the Designed Alliance, but what we can give them, the second thing that they need, is safety. All right? They do not feel safe. Now, let's talk about why they don't feel safe. When we're talking about safety, I mean, why do not people feel safe? Well, first of all, we look freaked out. many cases so we're standing in front of the jury and we're all nervous and we're not breathing well and we're all looking at them as the enemy I mean right there looking at them as the enemy why would anyone feel safe when you are sitting there going hmm even if you're not nervous which one of you fuckers is gonna fuck my case let me find out let me ask you some personal questions so I can find out and then kick your ass out of here is that providing safety for hostages uh, hell no. You've got your gun trained on them. That's why they don't feel safe. They don't feel safe because if you you're, are you're one of the nervous types, you're not communicating that they're safe, right? And we're talking about leadership. When you stand in front of the jury and you're nervous and you're not breathing well, you're communicating that you know you're in fight or flight, you're in survival mode, you're looking out for yourself. No one's going to follow someone who's only looking out for themselves. So that's the first problem is that people don't feel safe. And in, to, in order to increase commi- or permission, we've got to create safety. What are other ways that we don't create safety? Well, we're not clear. We stand up and they don't know what's happening, who we are, what our role is, what their role is. Nobody knows what the what the rules are. You know, in the book, I talk about when you are, are starting a game of any kind, a board game or sports game, any kind of game, what's the first question you have if you've never played it before? What are the rules? How do I do this? That's what's on jurors' minds, okay? So once we give them, as I say in the book, rules, reason, and relatedness, right? So why are we here? How is this game played? Now let's get to know each other. We can't create safety. Those are the three R's of safety. They need to know why we're here, how this works, and they need to know each other. Now, why do they need to know each other? (laughs) Because what they're doing, they're going to do without you. And it's a group activity. It's not like they just get to go in there and do this individually. They have to work together as a group. And so part of the safety you're providing is to form the group, which is what we're gonna talk about in just a minute. So the first step in the From Hostage to Hero method, just checking my time here, is to introduce safety. Tell them and show them that you are a safe presence and what it is that they're supposed to be doing and how this process works so that they can relax in and go, okay. So now once you create safety, you introduce a little bit of safety, the needle on the thermometer permission goes up a couple clicks. They're like, all right, there's someone here that's getting me, you know, understanding what we're supposed to be doing. All right, I'm a little more open now, a little more receptive. Now, once we introduce safety, the next thing is to invite engagement invite engagement. So now they need to know what it is that we're here to do. So this is where you start getting people engaged with you in the content. But let's talk a little bit more about why people don't engage. Well, first of all, they don't fucking care. All right, they may now know the rules of the game, but they still may not want to play. Now, what's the number one way we make people want to play? We make it either fun, which this, you know, there's fun parts of trial, but you know, we're talking about catastrophic injuries and whatnot, not super fun. But we make it about them. This is the big part that's missing in in nearly all of your cases is you focus so intently on the client or yourself that you forget about the jurors in front of you. The only thing that's gonna get them to move into action is to have this personally be something they care about. And here's where I talk about the principles in your case and letting jurors be in a situation where they have the ability to affect the kind of world we wanna live in. Every case, every case has a principle that matters to jurors, whether that's betrayal or loyalty or honesty or responsibility or safety, or whatever it may be. You've gotta make the case about the jurors to get them to be engaged. You've gotta talk about things that matter in their lives because that's what will then connect them and get them. I just had a, um, a podcast episode that I, I did called Resonant Conversations. It'll get them resonating with the themes in your case when you start listening to them and talking about the things that are matter to them and connect it to your case. Your guy or gal, your plaintiff, is just a representative representative piece of a bigger principle that you can get jurors to care about. And until unless you do that, they are not going to care. Now, the other reason why people aren't engaged is because we're not inviting. I mean, the second step in the method is invite engagement. And yet, most of you in the voir dire process tend to act like you're interrogating. So you'll say, now... You do understand that it's not always appropriate for the police to use force, right? And you, you, you're you interrogating them and your voice is curling down, the palm is down. And it's like, okay, it's not inviting. So when we say invite engagement, I actually mean you have to non-verbally be inviting. You have to actually listen. That's the other thing that I'm not seeing happening in what year. You're so in your head about what's the next question, what does that mean, is that good, is that bad, is that you're not actually listening to the jurors. Look, we could talk all day long about how important jurors are, but until we actually listen to them, they're gonna think we're full of shit. When a really important person walks in the room, what do we do? We all turn and give that person our attention. We need to do the same for jurors. When we start listening to them, when we start engaging them, because we say this case, even non-verbally, we don't have to say it verbally, has to do with you and the community and, and all the principles that as humans we find dear. That's what invites engagement. People want to talk about those things. They have zero interest in talking about your client and even more less interest in talking about you. They want to talk about what affects them and affects their lives and all of your cases can touch the jurors on, on a certain level. How do we also um, not invite engagement? Why aren't people engaged? We don't we keep the group informed. We, we, we make this an individual activity. We go juror by juror and we ask them questions. Nobody wants to watch someone else being questioned. Nobody. You've got to make voidir a group process. Now, I understand where you can't do that. Okay. Fertile courts, some of y'all don't have voidir. But those of you, which is most of you, that have the ability to do panel voidir, fucking do it. Stop going on these one on one mini dates with your jurors while the rest of us sit there going when's it my turn this is boring you got to learn how to conduct a group conversation because again what are we asking jurors to do it's not an individual activity it's a group activity and you've got to train them to know how to do that that invites engagement when the group starts gelling around ideas and we're talking we're like yeah i've had that that thing too and yeah isn't that true and now we have this thing that gets people engaged Which brings us to the third step, which is inspire commitment. So permission now starts to go up. First they feel safe like, all right, someone here is in charge. They told me how this works. I'm willing to listen a little. Then we get them engaged talking about principles and their lives and what's happening. And now they get even more receptive because they're like, oh, wow, I had no idea that this has something to do with me, that this could affect me. So now they're engaged. Now we need to inspire them to commit to the right side because we know that most jurors are committed to one side or the other by the end of opening. So opening is your chance to inspire commitment. We can't get jurors though to commit back at the beginning. This is all a timed process. Okay, that's what this method is all about. Doing the right thing at the right time. So why aren't people inspired in opening? Well, I got to tell you, people don't get inspired when they're bored and so many openings are so boring. I'm telling you guys, they're boring. Why? Because you don't bring it. That's really it in a nutshell. Y'all don't bring it, right? So when you're teaching, you sound like your eighth grade oral report instead of, okay, so here's the thing in this case. You know your discs, they're kinda like jelly donuts, right? And when those get compressed, here's what happens. And you get excited about the disc in the spine. And if you're not excited about the disc and the spine, then why the fuck are you taking the case to trial? You need to get excited about it. Teach it with some passion. I don't care what it is that you're teaching, but you need to to be there, passionate about it. That's what inspires. Good storytelling inspires. Really bringing the characters to life. Changing positions. Using different voices. Using props. I can't do that. It's too dramatic. No, it's not. People love stories, and if you're going to half-ass it, you might as well not do it at all. Bring it. You know what else is not inspiring? Victims. We talked about this in the last uh, webinar with Jesse of Tell the Winning Story. Victims are not inspiring. When we cast our planet as a victim who can't do this, and he can't do that, and he can't do this, and he can't do that, people don't care. It's not inspiring. You know what's inspiring? The underdog. The person who something has been taken from them, and yet they keep going. That's the person we root for. That's the person we get behind. That's the person we commit to. Because we go, fuck, look at all this stuff that has happened to them, and yet they refuse to stop. They're going to keep going. That's what inspires. It's not the victim story. It's not the victim story. So people don't get inspired because they're bored, and there's no one to root for. So, you got to turn that around, which then brings us to the fourth from Hostage to Hero. Now, if they're committed to you by the end of opening, which they should be at this point, your permission level is pretty damn high. Okay. So, they're like, all right, first I started out. I don't want any of this. I want none of it. You created safety for them. So, they're like, all right, at least I'll listen to you. Then you got them engaged by making it about them and having these great conversations. And they're like, okay, this affects me personally. I'm with you. I'm with you. What else you got? Now you tell them this inspiring story of your plaintiff and the story of the defense's actions and how horrible that is. And you really get in your storytelling. You get passionate about your teaching. They're like, okay, damn it. I'm with you. Let's go. And you continue that over trial with with your direct and opening. And now we're at the fourth step, which is incite action. Now is the time that you've got to get, get the jurors to now take action. Not just be committed, but take action for you. Why don't people take action? Well, the first one is because they don't care. So at this point, they should care if you've done this correctly. But if they don't, then you know something went wrong in steps one through three. Okay? Normally back in one year, that's where we get them to care. So if they're not going to take action, it's because they don't care. But another reason they don't take action, even if they're committed to you, is that they don't get the impact of what their job is to do. This is why when we tell the story in opening, I always have people tell two stories. i mean, sorry, in closing, I always have people tell two stories. You tell the opening. I'm sorry, saying it. You tell the one story in closing of what happens to the plaintiff if the jury takes action, and you paint that picture for them, what the future will look like for the plaintiff and for the community at large, and for the jurors themselves. And then you tell another story about what happens if they don't. We know that people are more motivated by loss than gain. Look up any social science. So then you paint this picture of now. If you don't take action, here's what the future looks like these people can still hurt other people, the plaintiff, whatever. And so you've got to really bring home for jurors at the end stage, this action stage of what taking action is actually going to do. And worse, if they don't take action, what that will look like. You've got to show them that. And there's good storytelling there too. Other reasons people don't take action, they don't understand how to do it. We haven't clearly communicated to them how to argue our case in the back room, how to understand the jury instructions, how to, what does all those terms mean. We haven't taught them how to take action. Or if you go back, we haven't formed the group in voir dire. They're feeling isolated. They don't know each other. I'm going to have to work with these people. I've never even talked to them. That's why that, that piece is so important in voir dire. They don't understand what they're supposed to do. That's your job. Your job is not to convince anybody in closing. You can really bring home the two choices, help and not help. Here's what's going to happen. But your job is really to empower the jurors who've committed to you with tools to do their job so that they know what it is that they're doing. They know how to do it. They know the impact of that job. And that, my friends, are the four steps in From Hostage to Hero. And you can't go out of order. You've got to start with, in, or um, introducing that safety. So you get a little bit of permission. Once they feel safe, you get you invite that engagement by being inviting and by getting them involved in the process. Once you've invited the engagement, now you inspire commitment. You become teacher and storyteller and really bring us to life for them. Once they're committed, you get them inciting action. Here's what you have to do now. You carry that through from beginning to end and it all starts with recognizing that jurors are hostages And that if you can get them to willingly be there, you will get higher verdicts. We're getting verdicts now, but it's mostly because they're just there and they're like, yeah, okay, fine. Just throw some money at the problem. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Remember, a juror, number one thing a juror wants is to be set free. So what we want to do is to get them to want to be there and to do that, we have to follow the steps of human behavior, right? We can't just jump, we can't jump levels. Ask them to commit to us, tell them they're important, so on and so forth. Well, I am in a new Facebook platform here, so if you have questions, this is a great time to ask. I might need to look on my laptop, because it's kind of weird, I'm not sure where the questions or the comments come in here. If I click on this one, you can write a comment, I don't know if I can see a comment. If you have a question, I'm gonna look on my laptop, because everything's new these days. Fuck, we don't have enough new things to deal with. Let me know um, in the comments and I'll read those here. And let me tell you, if you're new to me, how to get involved in the group. So I have a weekly podcast from Hostage to Hero where I do a lot of teaching. Feel free to come into the Facebook group and ask questions. Hey, sorry, can you give me an example of whatever you just talked about? There are a lot of people in this group that are very active. You can upload videos and get feedback from those people and from myself. You can ask for advice on experts. You can create study groups. You can upload silly memes. You can, I mean, this is, a, you've seen my 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 vibe. This is a place where we're going to have some fun too. But this is also your group. You guys can do what you want in here as long as you're not a fucking asshole. If you're a fucking asshole, then we're going to kick you out. But otherwise, we're here to support each other. Talk about, from we can talk about any method. You want to talk about reptile in here? Talk about reptile in here. Right. I'm not all about it's got to just be for most of your hero. I use a lot of people's stuff and I know you do too. talk about it in here. Fine with me. There's nothing that's off limits. If it's something that helps us learn, let's use it. Let's come together. There are some great consultants that have joined us. You know, Jesse's here. Louise Lippman's here today watching. She's great. Psychodramatist. Learn from these people. Ask them. Those of you who are consultants, jump in, dive in, give your feedback. This is your group. You get to play how you want to play here. Again, as long as you're playing nice, that's all I care about. So feel free to upload videos, memes, funny things, um, ask questions, ask about experts, whatever you need for support. I'm trying to bring in the guest webinars. Next week, we have Ed Capozzi. He's going to be here talking about domino theory. In June, we're going to have Keith Mitnick. He's going to be talking about the, the bruises stuff or don't eat the bruises, I guess, is really what we (laughs) want to make sure with Keith. And uh, I'll be in here live as much as I can. We do have a membership. And a course that's coming out in the fall, which will be a subscription, will give you very regular access to me and to Kevin and to some other coaches um, for videos, those kinds of things. So keep updated with that. In fact, if you want to go to From Hostage to Hero.com, you can sign up for the waitlist now and be one of the first people to know when the membership opens because it'll only be open for three or four days, maybe five. So, and we'll close it again. It won't be open again until uh, 2021. So, you want to make sure you don't miss the fall opening. Of the membership, let me see if there are any questions here. Um, I don't see any questions, although I see loving comments and I don't see all the comments, so maybe I'm missing something. Um, any questions that y'all have for me before I go away again? I'm in my uh, iPad, and there may be things I'm not seeing that um, otherwise I would see.
0: Uh...
1: Okay, I see some comments there. Okay, she's putting from Hostage Hero on there if um, you want to go there and sign up for the waitlist, Thanks for being a part of this group. You can also invite your friends, if they're plaintiff attorneys or criminal defense attorneys, to join by hitting invite members. They need to answer the same three questions you answered to get into the group, but we welcome them. And um, if you've read the book, please go to Trial Guys and give us a review. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a review at iTunes or wherever you listen. I've got a goal, people. And I want to have the most reviews at Trial Guides and the most on iTunes for a legal podcast. It's just something. Um, Humor with jurors during voir dire means how to open them up with laughter. Laughter is a group formation technique, Blade. um, But you have to be really careful with humor, right? So it all comes down to what? What's the word I'm going to say, Blade? It all comes down to permission. Do you have permission? So in my Facebook group and on my podcast, I swear up and down like sailor, okay? Why? Because I have a voice and a specific style and if people don't like it, they can leave. When I'm a guest on stage, do I swear? Yes, but not until I know I've got permission. And I have to read the group and see what I can get away with. So I might throw in a swear word and then I watch. If I've got permission, like I did at the Trucking Academy, (laughs) then I swear upside down and sideways and they love me even more. That's the thing. When you have permission and then you push the envelope, your permission explodes, right? So I think of um, Rick Friedman's Propofol case, the $104 million case. I was there to assist on jury selection. And the judge, she was joking around and the jurors just loved her. And so every time she made a joke, they loved her even more. So it all comes down to permission. How much permission do you have? Read your group. There's never a never use humor with jurors or always use humor with jurors. I mean, this is the presentation skills stuff where you're like, always start with a joke or never start with a joke. There's no always or never. Never. When you're nonverbally intelligent, which is the whole point of this book, is how do you read permission? What are all these things based on? Nonverbal communication. I can read for my group. If they stiffen up when I swear, I've lost permission because breathing is the only reliable indicator of permission. But if they start laughing, I know they're breathing. So now I know I can swear. And the more I swear, the more they like it. So it's all about permission, and reading permission is an art, and it's something that we teach in the studios, and that's why when we have people out, (laughs) that's why people come out is that we can do this, and this is fun, but until you're with me and I can show you what you'd be looking for, not looking for, oh, they're blinking and they don't like me, but do you have permission? Yes, how much do you have? That kind of stuff we can read. That's really helpful for trial attorneys, not all this other stuff of blinking and neural pathway. I just don't think you guys have time for that. Can you tell if someone, if you've got permission with your jury? Yes. Is that useful? Yes. That's what I want to teach you how to do. Not read about, you know, someone crossing their legs and what the hell that means. That's just, that's pointless and it doesn't help you. Permission or not, that's where the magic is. Uh, anyone else have questions before I jump off this one? Please get involved in the group. I love seeing people post. We want to be a resource for you there. And uh, once the membership starts, I'm going to be less in the free group because I'm going to give most of my attention to my peeps in the paid membership. So this is your chance between now and the fall to get some free coaching for me, some free feedback, upload videos, do some fun things. Um, I'm there to assist, especially during this time of COVID-19. All right. Well, I guess that's enough. Um, that's the hard thing is I can't read permission on, on Facebook Live. So you know, maybe I lost permission with joking about my husband's underwear. We'll see. We'll see. All right, my friends. I love you. I adore you. I'm here for you. My whole world is in service of you. So let me know how I can be of service. Um, you guys are great and continue being great. And I will talk to you soon.
0: That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sari Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sari's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.